Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. LR here with Benji as always for the only sim emblematic stage of the Vuelta of previous years, the Rampas in Humanas stage to Les Prairies, the one stage that finishes on a steep goat track. It's And it's hard beforehand. Like, it's not an easy stage either. Over 3,500 meters climbing in 172 Ks, it's largely sort of medium mountain. 8 Ks, 5.7%. The first 47 Ks were flat, so brake formation would be more difficult than yesterday, particularly for a Padun, a Jay Vine type characters. And then it's all about the finish. It's got a really, really technical um, descent run into this start of this climb. 3.8 Ks, 13%. There is a little flat section under the Flamme Rouge. The road surface gets really, really bad in the last sort of 500 meters. And it becomes a, the grid with the anyone, if anyone's done um, Brandenburg Road. At the back of Mullaney or some of the Brookfield roads, like Haven Road, those sort of roads, yeah, out the back of Brisbane, it's kind of like this stuff. Um, anyway, that's just a little hat tip to the Brisbaneites. Anyway, Benji, Quickstep are doing a pretty good job of brake control today. Today they went with the – oh, Peter Suri, by the way, sorry, news. Suri out with COVID, I believe. Yes. Kus out with fever, not COVID. So two of the yes. big teams losing very, very important riders. And I do believe other people might have been out as well. Pools. Apologies. Pools for Bahrain too. Um, so Suri out, Benji. That meant Quickstep, they went with the approach of a manageable break is what we want that we can give as much time as we want rather than being set up to control all day. Exactly. But it was done weirdly. I would say it was not done the way I expected them to control the initial attacks in this stage, because the initial attacks were first of all, like a Thomas the hand going up the road with a Villela and so forth in a small group, but some bigger names started following afterwards, like Jay Vine. And we saw a response by Quickstep neutralizing the Jay Vine attack with Alaphilippe, which I thought he's still pretty far on GC. He's not a danger directly for Evenepoel. I didn't expect them to close down Jay Vine so initially, but perhaps they don't want him to come back in GC because they consider him one of the greater climbers in his race, for example. But the next one as well, Richard Carapaz attacks on one side of the road, who jumps to his wheel, not Alaphilippe, not a quick step teammate, Remco Evenepoel himself. And that was an odd decision, in my opinion, because it... Carapaz is on seven minutes in GC. Is he really that dangerous for Evenepoel that he has to close it himself? I think that was a bit too much. What do you think? Yeah, it's too... Maybe Remco's just going into Patron mode saying just (laughs) cut the shit, maybe. I don't know, because like Carapaz... You, you know you can probably put a minute plus into him today and then another minute and a half in the TT. Like, you're so far ahead of the guy already. I think Quickstep just wanted a very, very easy break to control. Uh, but the, still, the way they rode the stage was kind of weird. Like, anyway, 
Vine wasn't allowed in the break, so he no KOM, KOM points for him. He, there was Janssens and Stannard in the break. They were defending his KOM lead, I think, by mopping up any of the KOM points where they could. Menkes eventually was in the break. Uh, it sort of reformed as like a climb with 50Ks into the stage. Menkes, Battistella, Janssens, Dylan Van Baal was in there. So no hater-plap combo that Benji called for yesterday, the Schultz-Matthews-Mond combo. It, it actually made sense, um, but that didn't happen. Um, I think Van Baal with a teammate, a ruler teammate, could have really tried something here to get ahead early. But that didn't happen. Um, and so that was the breakaway. Sorry if I've missed anybody. One, One more. Arden's model was initially in the breakaway. Ah, yes. But when Rem Quaven pulled at a sanitary stop, I decided to do a sanitary stop as well. And I came back and Arden's model was not in the breakaway. Do you know what happened with Arden's model? Because online it reports him as waiting for the peloton. And I don't know. He felt like the kind of rider. Maybe it was him that was causing the peloton to phase after the breakaway or something. And they were like, get out of here. He was like on less than four minutes on GC. I think I love that you actually time your piss breaks with the peloton. <laughs> like, that's unreal. Um, like Benji's just sitting there waiting for Juanpe to put the hand up two hours into the stage each day, hoping that Juanpe takes the the Maya Rojo. Um, the I don't know. Like Aaronsman, I think maybe he was getting abused by the break, saying, "Mate, can you fuck off?" I think literally would have been what people might have been saying to him because it means they're less likely to win because the break will get chased a lot harder. Um, that's pretty common. Or I don't know. I don't know what happened. But he waited up, Aaronsman. Um, still no official announcement on where he is going next year, the 22-year-old talented Dutch rider yeah, on but... DSM. It's rumored Ineos. <laughs> it's open <laughs> secret. <laughs> anyway. There's not really much to say about the middle of the stage other than one thing to discuss is quick step Benji. Remco clearly, like he clearly wanted to win the stage. I think he wanted to win yesterday too. Seri's out. There's no de Klerk. There's Cavagna, Masnada, Dries Devenans, Van Wilder, Alaphilippe. These guys doing their best. I felt like there was a little bit of the Pagacha UAE, Mejev, Padamorjan, Stage 9 and 10 of the tour here, where I was like, why have you got this break pegged at four mins? Menkes is on eight minutes. And um, I don't know. I don't know. It was just a weird middle ground where it's like, are you going for the stage? Or if you're not, Sean Kelly said this on Con, he's like, let it out to six minutes then, and then you can conserve your guys for the final run-in. Didn't matter in the end, but... I were they trying to go for the stage, hoping, but just trying not to blow up the group, hoping to break with finesse and, and sort of have it both ways, and they just weren't strong enough or aren't strong enough to bring it back? Maybe there's multiple factors to it. Like, maybe one of the factors is we're going to keep it close enough in the hopes that a Movistar will take over and we actually get a chance for the stage later yes. on, potentially. Another option is that they think... If we make the stage a tiny bit harder throughout, make the tempo a tiny bit harder, put some pressure on the breakaway to keep the tempo up as well, then we make it harder for our GC competitors like Rolich, who is not in top form, for example, the stage itself, a bit more kilojoules in the legs, just for the final to be a bit harder. Or is that too far-fetched, that last theory? No, that applies. I don't know how hard it was. These are sort of 5% climbs with Cavania pacing. I don't know. But we keep saying... Uh, like I'm not criticizing the guys Quickstep have in the team. They're outperforming their contracts, many of them. 
like the yeah. Viker, like probably Van Vilder. I'm not expecting hey. the Viker. No, no, the Viker. I the Viker be... would be decent at the start <laughs> of the year, and everybody was against me. Well, um, he's <laughs> he's doing really well, but the thing is, like, he can't do, you know, Coos McNulty, and that's what Renko kind of needs. It's not his fault. They got Hewitt coming next year. And they don't have to click. And so it, it yeah. cost Remco time today. It's cost him time in, in the Vuelta, even though those guys are doing um, the best that they can. Um, but anyway, not too much to discuss. Breakaway gets a nice gap. The breakaway is going to win. There's time for finessing. Zwift, though, we've mentioned Javon a fair bit. Not a day for him. He sat in the GC group. But every year, there are only two Zwift Academy winners, thousands of participants, and Zwift Academy helps you find your strength and go further, whether you're aiming for a pro contract or just trying to get fitter on the bike. Orientation rides for Zwift Academy are live now, so go and check them out. They'll talk you through the basics of Zwift Academy on a short spin with a couple of intervals alongside other Zwifters. Once Zwift Academy does kick off, the workouts are available on demand all available in English, German, French, Spanish, or Japanese. So to find out more or start your free seven-day trial, head to Zwift.com. But yeah, break has enough time. Menkes is attacked because he's going to be the best on the final climb because he's like 58 kilos, and they're starting to... What was it? Battistella and Janssen's went clear? Albertson started to play games? Jimmy Janssen's. We got to credit the man, the man, the man, the legend. Battistella as well, same two people as we're in the breaker with... Fred Wright on that other day, that flat stage with the mountain in the middle, that Fred Wright ended up bottling the sprint at. In this specific scenario, we had, it was odd because usually before you get to a, a steep climb like this, there's two types of riders. There's riders like a Jimmy Johnson's who are like, well, I'm going to get absolutely destroyed on this damn climb if I ride it against Mankeys from the same group. So he thinks, I got to get up the road. And I'm pretty sure Buddy Stella had the same thoughts. And Janssen's tried, I think, multiple times to get into the attack. Janssen's tried first, didn't really work out. Mankey's tried bridging towards him. That worked for a bit, but eventually it was a Batistella plus Janssen's move, like you mentioned, that actually stuck. And I'm saying stuck because 30 seconds on the group with 5k to go, that's notable going into a climb like this. But again, such percentages, if you are a climber in that second group, that is notably better than the two riders of the road you're gonna catch them even if it's like arguably even if it's a minute like i haven't done the calculations if that's actually true if it was a minute he still would have won i have to check afterwards but from that scenario onwards going with that gap to the climb a group of seven riders chasing them at 30 seconds jansen's was never gonna make it to the top but he still i had higher hopes as in like i believe that he could drop jansen's and perhaps could hold people off from the second group but Mankeys was indeed the one that was the stronger one in that second group and again some moves before the climb started from that second group but it was really Mankeys that one by one started dropping riders and a rider like Konka apparently it's Konka not Concha and the other one Conchi who's going to Alperson is Conchi instead of Conchi so they're making it very difficult with all these names these Italians but in the end this group was getting thinned out and thinned out by Mankeys and Mankeys got a gap got past everybody and moved towards Battistella and Janssen's, and Janssen's was getting destroyed by Battistella, and then Mankey's destroyed those two riders, right? Can I Could I have made it a bit more tense, or? <laughs> There's no, like, yeah, once we saw, we didn't really know where they were too accurately once Pereira started, but once we saw Mankey's in the distance behind Battistella, you just know there's like 12 minutes left in this climb. 
Mankey's class rider and this is his terrain. Like I can't remember what did he do on Haimonoteru he attacked. Like this is generally speaking like very basic logic, but sometimes we forget the lightest riders who can do well on the majority of climbs, GC climbs, average between 6 to 8%. And, and Louis Menkes is able to top 10 Grand Tours where the majority of mountain top finishes are like that, which don't suit him compared to a 65-kilo to 66-kilo rider. So when you have a 14% finish and he's in the break and he's like 57 kilos and we saw on Alpe d'Huez, like Pidcock, that wasn't a fluke. Pidcock's flying. Like he did like 5.8, 5.75 or something for like, what I don't know, 45 minutes on Alpe d'Huez. Menkes thought he was baiting Pidcock, and then Pidcock was actually like, nah, I actually am this good. Uh, but Pidcock's not here, and so Menke just dusted everybody, put a minute into them, won his first World Tour race of Welter stage. I see him, like I remember, I think I think it was him, I'm seeing him training a lot of times solo, depths of winter here, and this was pre his breakout season this year, and he's just had a great year at 30 years old, so super happy for him. Um, especially he was very, very disappointed after the Alpe d'Huez second place. Um, but, yeah, great yeah. result from him today, winning ahead of Battistella and Zambonini. Now we'll go to the GC group. A lot to talk about here. So the run into this climb is very treacherous. We have It's literally like a steep right-hand 180-degree turn, then straight into a left-hander, really treacherous. It wasn't too wet today. Position's important. Um, I can't remember from 2018 who entered first. I can't remember, but it's really important to enter first because if you if the peloton's strung out and you enter a climb five seconds back, that is more yeah. what you have to do. It really is important. And so Alaphilippe, Benji, almost the MVP today for Quickstep, he was unbelievably good. Amazing running by Alaphilippe going into that climb. And you said it, he dive-bombed that descent like crazy and even a pool stuck to his wheel. Uh, Von Wilder also still there. They will, were perfectly set up going into this climb. And there were some other riders that weren't. And there was an event that happened a bit earlier in that descent that could have led to the positions that came later, which was Gagan Hart crashing and also Chris Harper slitting out in the same corner. Not sure if they connected or whether they just crashed both at the same time. Coincidentally, probably connected. Nonetheless, those two riders were basically out of that group. And... It looked from the helicopter angle that the group had snapped in half. And I couldn't see Roglic at the front anymore. And I don't know where he was when that crash happened, but I know where he was when the climb started, which was there was a group of 16, 17 riders. And of those riders, I swear Roglic was second last. And when Alaphilippe is punching into the start of his climb, this means that he's significantly behind. And this reminds me of the following climbs. I think the Poggio is one of those climbs. And the Poggio pressure. being that Roglic was not in a good position at the start of the Poggio, while Jumbo was setting stuff up at the front, other teams probably as well, and then Roglic had to pause multiple riders, put a significant effort in to get to the front by the time the action properly started, and he had to do that initially in the first like few hundred meters of that climb. And the same opposite thing, not to Roglic, but to other riders, is what we saw at Paris-Nice and at the Tour de France on the Calais stage. When the effect of the run-in is so significant, if you're so far behind, you're spending so much energy to get to the front in the initial part that you can't go again, unlike the others at the front, for example. And that's how we saw Paranese domination by Yumbo on that one stage where they got a 1-2-3. 
And that's how we saw on stage for Calais, where Yambo also launched themselves, basically. Roglic was also in a bad position in that one, by the way, and eventually was not where he needed to be, probably, with Wout van Aert and Vingegaard atop at that climb in Calais. But in this specific scenario, going in 15 on this climb, knowing there's a significant gap to the front where Alaphilippe is basically punching away with Remco in his wheel into the bottom of the climb, and then you see a shot, I think it was half a minute later, where Roglic is at the front. This means that he had to punch past every single rider that was behind Evenepoel and in front of Roglic in the first few hundred meters of this climb. And that makes it clear to me that he spent energy already in the initial part of this climb that an Evenepoel didn't have to do, for example. Von Welder also did quite an effort, I think, after Alaphilippe. But did we see much of that? I think like one nah. shot? The, the cameras didn't show GC Group too much, unfortunately. But as Benji said, it's pretty clear that like the first 300 meters of these climbs, they're doing it well above th threshold. They're going over what they're going to do for 15 minutes. And, and that's what Remco's doing over threshold. And so Rolich to go from where he was to catch up to Remco means he's doing another maybe 25 watts, 30 watts higher than that. Um, so that's, that's sort of cost you in the back end. You eventually have to stop and not stop, but it just costs you. Um, and it's just perfect from quick step, really like here, the team doesn't matter so much that they can't set a hard pace. Like yesterday it cost him the, before Remco attacked, they paced at 6.1 after Remco attacked, he did about 6.85. 6.85 so that's too big a difference but here because the draft is so much less important you drop him off the at the base in perfect position off you go it's kind of a perfect scenario and so Remco just goes to the front starts doing his Indoran impression of just riding his own tempo I think a little bit above earlier maybe he underestimated the climb a little bit and Roglic is hanging on. Mars is there. And actually, Ayuso attacked first. Ayuso attacked this group. By the way, sorry, already like Sivakov, Gegenhart, Hindley, Almeida uh, are not there of the GC guys. We have a select group and Ayuso attacks complete savage. <laughs> like, not the best. Also, not a good idea. Like, yeah. I don't know what he's thinking. And then Remco just goes past him and then Mars eventually drops. Um, and Remco does his own pace. So, yeah. Great performance from him. He, Rodriguez. I think he, Rodriguez was good. He was good. It was, <laughs> this was a great day for Spain. I know, like, I didn't expect any of them to be with Remco here, but they were second, third, and fourth, I think, on the out of the GC guys. That's a terrific performance from them. And at one point, we had Mas Rodriguez Ayuso pacing in the same group. And I'm like, that, this is good. Like, this is the future. Maybe not for as good for Movistar, given that Ayuso and Rodriguez aren't there. But that was really, really good. Roglic dropped off and then I think actually did pace quite well because Remco took a minute. Um, so I'll just wrap up the actual stage and we'll get to the discussion. Remco had a minute. I think got pegged back by Mas a little bit pacing. Ayuso seemed to attack the group of Rodriguez and Mas afterwards, but Remco's able to come in fourth. No bonus seconds, so... If the team paced a little bit harder, he had the bonus seconds. He finishes ahead of Ayuso by, uh, let me do the maths, 34 seconds. Ayuso, big, big surge. He, like, put 10 seconds into Marcin Rodriguez. So Remco takes 50, about 52 seconds, 50 seconds on Roglic. So Roglic came back and held really, really well. Uh, Simon Yates just behind Roglic. Um, 
Almeida loses nearly two minutes to Avinopol. Sivakov, not a great day. He loses over two minutes. Hindley loses nearly three minutes. O'Connor loses nearly three minutes too. In terms of GC, no no changes in the top four. Just different gaps. Avinopol goes 112 ahead of Mars, 153 ahead of Roglic, 233 ahead of Rodriguez. Ayuso moves up, it says, into fifth, but I don't know, because uh, Gagan Hart... I think falls almost completely out of GC. Yeah. It says initially, uh, our mate is on four thirty-two, uh, but he's further back. He's nearly two minutes behind Ayuso. Roglic is on, as I said, one fifty-three. Um, what do you make of Ramco's performance, Benji? I'm not surprised, to be honest. It's a pretty amazing performance, right? Like he's clearly the the best GC rider in this race at the moment in this first week, and hopefully that sticks for him. When it comes to the overall race, we we see that he's got a lead of 112 on Mas, but we got to be real about that. If we count in the time trial of 30 kilometers, that is plus two minutes for Remco, in my opinion. That's 312, I say, on Enric Mas, on paper. Because Remco having a post time trial should be significantly better than Enric Mas. Perhaps I'm overrating it. I don't know. I don't think so. Roglic on 153 and GC alike. When you look at that, it's impossible to know how much Roglic will be behind Remco in the TT. Because we don't know, like, what is the effect of Roglic here? We see on the first mountain stage that Roglic is losing time, notably amount of time, I think a minute plus. Now on yesterday's mountain stage, he loses basically no time, a few seconds to Remco Evenepoel. Today he loses more than, what is it, more than a minute? So it's Oh, Roglic only lost 50. A 50, it's still significant. They're yeah, like, yeah, huge. It's, it's not nothing. So I don't know what will happen on the time trial when it comes to him. So I can't predict how much time he will lose or whatever towards Remco Evenepoel. On paper, I'd say with this form, he loses time on the time trial to Evenepoel. Like, from what he's shown so far, will he grow throughout the race? Impossible to know. We don't know the medical information, whether this is him recovering or whether this is the form we can expect for the entire race when it comes to Roglic. So I'm in doubts there. I'm just very intrigued for our 1v1 here. Rodriguez versus Ayuso, the two champions in the ring. On the one side, we've got a 19-year-old Ayuso that is performing amazingly, and I'm so hyped to see it. It was amazing in the one-day races this year. Romandy was a bit disappointing in my personal opinion. Catalunya was interested because it was Almeida versus Ayuso time. In this Vuelta, he's now against the big guns, and... Now the question is also similar to Evenpool, can he sustain this for three weeks? But the same question lasts for my champion on the other side of the ring, which is Rodriguez, which is the only leftover rider, GC-wise, for Ineos. So Ineos completely decapitated when it comes to all their leaders, except for one, Rodriguez. Obviously, like, we knew Rodriguez would be the remaining champion in their camp. Obviously, it was written in the stars. Yeah, but... you've, won, you've won the Sivakov-Rodriguez battle for now. <laughs> For now, is he gonna Sivakov's return is week four or something of this ground? <laughs> He's gonna need to take a lot of time and that breakaway. I think he'll be in in stage twenty <laughs> to take it back. <laughs> I mean, this is what we said about Rodriguez. I thought he was Bernal twenty eighteen, and if there was anybody that was going to be able to pace for Thomas at the Tour de France, it was going to be Rodriguez. And luckily for Rodriguez, they didn't take him um, yep. because I think on. Uh, Murder Paguerre or something like that in this shape, he would have been useful for Thomas. Not that I don't, it wouldn't have made any difference to Thomas's yeah. placement, but he kind of got lucky that he didn't get taken to the Tour de France in the 2018 Bernal role. What about Simon Yates? Because 
With Simon Yates, we've got the situation where he gradually moves up in GC, is now on 308 of Evenepoel, but that is only 30 seconds of Ayuso and Rodriguez, who have more hype in this race at the moment. Only a minute and a bit on Roglic, for example. Obviously, in the time trial, that should be extended to Roglic if his TT is relatively on point by Roglic. We don't know that currently. Obviously, the time will be expanded towards Evenepoel, but you think he's like a, a more hidden under the radar candidate for podium still? Yes. Or will he? Okay. Yates is riding really, really smart. Really smart. The way he's riding this. And Pereira's last year, uh, 2018, when he won, he rode really conservatively. Um, probably the watts were less than today um, of the winner back then. But this is reminding me of 2021 Giro a lot. The difference is the third week of the Vuelta doesn't have Alpemera uh, or Segeda Alla, but. I think he's waiting for Sierra Nevada. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's where he's going to try something. Also, don't be surprised if his TT is better than Ayuso or Rodriguez, even though it's a flat TT. The bike exchange setup is very, very good. Um, so I think he's just lurking under the radar. And as you said, is a real podium threat. He's just riding his own pace on all these stages, letting the other guys fight. And he's still only 30 seconds back, three seconds between Rodriguez and Ayuso. But yeah, with the TT, Avenapol's got provisionally like over two minutes on Mars and Roglic, like, I, yeah, as you said, he probably will take time uh, on him. It's crazy, eh? Because like, let's go back to our preview for a second. We both mentioned the Remco for the win. I was later on the Remco boat than you were. You get full credit for the Remco boat and the Remco hype train when in it comes the to preview, this podcast. In the quick step preview, I said he'd podium the world in January. <laughs> 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 okay you were early on the quick step right? yeah, he's going <laughs> to do better than po well maybe let's not <laughs> let's wait okay let's wait <laughs> but my question there is like we also mentioned that this park was perfect for a Remco Evenepoel but I think neither me nor you would have expected him to take such significant time on climbs like yesterday for example no he didn't take much time on yesterday's climb but for example, Pico Hano, yeah. which Pico was Hano. not the one where he expected too much time to be taken. And nah. is he taking way more time than people would have expected the damage to be on all these climbs in the Velta? And can we expect that to continue throughout this Velta? Because, like, was Pico Hano similar to the steady gradient climbs that are coming, or was that a longer climb in that sense? That's quite the question I'm asking. I think Pico Hano, he got very fortunate, and Quickstep got fortunate with the weather. Um, not that it was extremely cold temperatures, but I think it was the perfect temperature for Remco, about 15 to 20 degrees, light drizzle. He doesn't seem to mind it. Others do seem to mind it. Roglic was much better two days later in the drier, warmer, more humid conditions. I do think it was quite hot today, uh, hotter than previous days to Prairies. And I mean, he's still, I'm not surprised he put in 50 seconds today. Pico Hano, I was extremely surprised. That was ridiculous, uh, to be honest, like what happened there. But Mas was still with him. Uh, and then you know, I expected Colau Fanquai, uh, how do you say it, yesterday. That was the norm of what I expected. Now, Sierra Nevada is completely different to these climbs. That's like an hour and to 2,500 meters. So still untested there. We don't know. Mas hasn't been good there previously. Um, but no, I didn't. I, I actually I didn't expect these huge gaps. Now, Roglic in peak shape isn't losing that much time on Pico Hano, isn't losing this much time on Prairies. So Roglic isn't in peak shape. 
at, we kind of said that could be the case in the preview, logically, uh, with his yeah. preparation. But I don't know. It's it's just Remco kind of repeating what he showed a glimpse of at Tour of Norway, but this is the big dance, whether he can hold it. I don't know. He's got to chill out maybe with chasing Carapaz at the start of stages. What I want to talk about now is uh, UAE. They must be very, very happy with Juan Ayuso. They've extended him before the Vuelta to 2028. He's the longest contracted rider in pro cycling, 19 years old. He could be at Tour de l'Avenir as a second year under 23 right now, which is... And Remco could be there too, which is kind of <laughs> terrifying. Uh, his welter reminds me of Pikachu's welter in 2019 a lot. Um, they even ride very similar style um, from what I can see. They used to maybe even more aggressive. He's taken a big lead on Almeida now, two minutes. But Almeida is still seventh. He's on 432. Maybe his TT takes some time back. On Sierra Nevada, maybe Almeida is very good if he paces it well. I don't know. I don't know if Almeida is a bit less than his expected condition. What would you do if you were them now? Soler has the stage win, stage win in the back pocket, Benji. They've got a Spanish 19-year-old at the Vuelta, genuine podium threat. Do you, if you're in the car, tell Almeida you are just going to pace for Ayuso now? Or do you just keep what you're doing, doing what you're doing and then reassess after Sierra Nevada? I will first say what they will continue doing and then I will say what I uh, expect what I would do in that situation. But I do think that they're going to keep on going with two-liter strategy. You as well made on next to each other riding their own race until the gap is significant enough to actually change that strategy. I think it might be too close for them to make that decision. Next to that, I expect Soler and even McNulty to regularly still try and go in the breakaway. I think Soler tried to attack at a certain point in today's race to bridge to the breakaway again. Like, regardless of them going for GC, Soler is going to go for stages. I don't believe that they will fully set him in line until it's actually necessary, until it's actually like a situation where it will benefit them completely. And other teams are controlling the race anyway, like a quick step and so forth. But what I would do in this situation, I actually wouldn't change that much from that theory. I would probably, I'd probably still have both separate when it comes to leadership. The reason being that just like an Evenepoel and Rodriguez, Anuso has not proven to complete three weeks of a Grand Tour and Almeida has. And that is an important situation because right now if two riders fall out of the top seven, you've got a, an Almeida top five on your plate right now, which is not actually that bad. And Yuzo is currently in the top five, only two minutes ahead of Almeida, but you don't know what will happen in the last two weeks of, the, of this Grand Tour with Yuzo. Next to that, this might be a, a weird example, but COVID is still striking in this peloton. Left and right, and what if one of the two gets COVID? And it's exactly the rider that you chose to ride for. Like... That would be a big bummer as well. Do you think that teams are actively considering COVID and they're therefore perhaps one, making sure that in these situations they don't select leadership that quickly? And secondly, perhaps even got more versatile domestiques to certain races as a consequence? I definitely, you see now more riders wearing masks after the few positives that have come through for COVID. I think... 
what if you say to Almeida Benji, you have to wait for Ayuso on Sierra Nevada and Ayuso completely collapses and you lose both shots at a top five on GC. That's yeah. the huge risk. I think I think they have first of all, I'm not sure the way Almeida paces actually helps one Ayuso. <laughs> um I think they both do different pacing strategies. Ayuso maybe overextended at the start on Prairie's recovered and then attacked at the like he finished this stage like forty five kilometers an hour, bike throwing. Um Almeida <laughs> lost a lot. I don't know. Maybe they'll know better. Maybe Almeida's just like not in good shape at all. I definitely think so. I think after Sierra Nevada, reassess if Ayuso is close, then you need to start riding for him because he's very punchy compared to Mars yes. and Rodriguez. There's bonus seconds he can take. Um, and I think because he's a bit, he's just a bit rangier, uh, I think, and a bit more attacking. So I think after Sierra Nevada, but. Soler is the one where he's probably in the best shape of anyone else on the team. Jan Plants did okay, actually, on this finish. Soler, I think, depends on the stage, but if it is a GC-relevant day, I think it, would, it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't have hurt to have Soler on that descent run-in bringing Ayuso to the front if he could have. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's doing really well. He's three seconds behind Rodriguez. They are still 40 seconds behind Roglic Benji. Um, do you expect – they took a bit of time on him today. What mm. do you expect from Roglic? Because, like, he's still performing in the top five GC riders. So, like, it's not like he's just completely dropping. Do you think I, – I don't think you can know until Sierra Nevada, to be honest. Same with Lopez. Like, Sierra Nevada is so different to these climbs. I think that's what we'll, what we'll tell. I think he'll do a fine TT as well, actually. I think that's the reason that – we can't predict that much when it comes to Almeida and Ayuso either because we don't know what will happen to their competitors in the coming week either. And we also don't know what will happen to Ayuso on Sierra Nevada. So there's so much unpredictability still on the table within UAE and the competitors that if I'm UAE, I'm just betting on two horses until it becomes absolutely clear that one of them is significantly better and has gotten over the most important obstacles, which is Sierra Nevada, like you mentioned. And the aspect to that is also like, when it comes to UAE, we see this right now that this is the case. But we see a user on 236, Almeida on 432. That is two minutes difference. When we take a look at Ineos, 233, and Sivakov on 539, that's a minute extra difference between the two. Is that a different situation then? Is that a different situation where Sivakov is clear domestique already for Rodriguez? Or is that the drop that makes the bucket overload. Is that a sentence? I think it is. That must be a Belgian. Is that a Belgian <laughs> phrase? It is. Oh, funny <laughs> phrase. Um, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, I think Ineos have got Gagan Hart. I don't know where he finished. Um, he's kind of the guy who has really good shape on GC now. Gagan Hart is on 551. Oh, okay, I don't know. One of Gagan Hart's... One of Gagenhardt or Sivakov has to ride for... It's weird because Gagenhardt had good legs yesterday, but then he had the, the crash today, which wouldn't have helped. He would have been ahead of Sivakov on GC were it not for that. I don't know, to be honest. Rod, like, they're all following. Remco setting the pace. <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. What like, do you... Oh, sorry, go on. How did he even ride for 
each other. Like quick step is setting the pace and launching an MCO every single climb. They just need to hold on and hope that they survive. Or are you thinking as in if one drops, drop for the other? But then, well, then it's because they're not good enough. Well, an example is yesterday on Fun Kwa, however you say it. Gagenhart attacked Remco. If Gagenhart was in a domestique role, he wouldn't have done that. He would have been sat yeah. in front of Rodriguez, and he's going to, if Rodriguez drops and can't close a move, he will go in front and start pacing and hold on for as long as he can. So, a few yeah. changes like that. You know, if Ayuso was running as a domestique for Almeida, he doesn't attack at the base of, of Prairies today. So, a few little changes, as you said, like, I don't know, it does make a difference for podium. Like, Mars doesn't have anybody. And he's having to pace himself. Mars is holding Remco's wheel the longest and trying to hold it the longest. And then he's being caught and guys are coming back to him. And on it doesn't matter on Prairies so much, but on Sierra Nevada, if if Mars goes with Remco on a Sierra Nevada, cracks, and behind Ayuso's had an Almeida setting a steady pace, like Godou with Madouaz in the and Store in the Tour de France. Or Bor, uh, not Bora, Ineos have um, Gagenhard or Sivakov steady pace for Rodriguez. They can go past Mars, just like Godou got ended up fourth with that exact strategy in the Tour de France. Um, but yeah, I think positive is kind of all positives. Some guys, like not all teams, are keeping their guys in GC. But one team that yeah. probably didn't have a great day at all was Bora Benji with Hindley Kelderman. Anagita really struggling on this rampas. Yeah, and not even this rampas. I think yesterday as well, Kelderman dropped way behind in GC already. He's now 25th on 10 minutes. So he's out of GC. Like, it's too far to be a top five competitor. Like, it's just too far. Unless he goes in breakaways and accidentally ends up there like O'Connor in the Tour de France last year. But I don't see that scenario really in this because they still got someone in that top 10 that Kaldemon will end up working for, which is Hindley, who is still on 536 in GC. Now, Higita's also gone. I think it was yesterday already that he was gone. Today, he loses seven positions again. So, yeah, Bora is not as strong as a block as we probably expected them to be at the start of this Vuelta. And Hindley seems to be the strongest of this and is still five minutes 36 behind. So, Sierra Nevada... That is the Hindley spot, right? That is the spot where Hindley can make sure he steps up a bit more and pass a few riders that might not be as good on altitude because Hindley was pretty on point on Stelvio, that one Giro, but is that Giro representative? Was there that much high altitude in the Giro? Not really, right? I swear there was like a few spots high altitude only. Well, Stelvio was a great performance, but that was in the wheel from Bennett. That wasn't the mountaintop finish. The actual mountaintop finishes where he did really well, Pianca Vallo, were not actually over 2,000 meters. Fadaya in the Giro this year finished at 2050, so not high altitude. He did like 6.5 for 20 region. I'm not sure he's in that shape. Um, whether that he prefers the cooler conditions today was quite warm um compared to other stages and yeah so sierra nevada is where one of roglic lopez hindley will be looking to strike back padun is who i think will win that stage if it's not too hot and he can win from the gc group like on the plan but that's what we'll preview after the tt but yeah it's uh, there can be big gaps of course on uh on altitude on a climb like that but the stage isn't it's not a feral stage. It is just like 
uh, Perch, and then Sierra Nevada. So anyway, Vuelta is looking, as I said, it, if this was Tane Pogaccia, we'd say it's over, but because Remco's never shown it for three weeks, he extends the lead, but we don't know yet. Uh, but yeah, anything else uh, before we go into the rest day, Benji? Two more things. Vine lost a significant amount of time, so he's probably doing that to get more freedom in breakaways, I guess, again, to be able to get in there, unlike what he was able to do today. And my other thing is that I need to perform a formal apology to a rider because uh, Zamanini, who came third on the uh, stage today, is one of the riders that I called out at the start of the year when I had a discussion with you about uh, the jumping to World Tour too early in your career could have consequences that are badly. And the one example that I used as a rider that went to World, World Tour where I didn't expect anything from is Zambanini, and he's actually not a bad rider. So he's, I guess he's, Zambanini, he's pretty good. my apologies. And uh, <laughs> I'm happy that you're performing. I'm sorry. Sorry to your family. Sorry to every single person, the Italian well, You're not necessarily wrong. Wouldn't That's he true. have done better on a different schedule? Like he's been used... Like this is a good use of him, but in UAE tour he was used as a flat domestique to pace the break. Like, yeah, you're not necessarily wrong um, in terms of like, for example, did Brenner? Brenner is performing well, but would he have benefited from the how? How do we how do we say his name? The Bora guy, who you know the Ooh. Belgian that just won Lavanier. Kian Eitebroeks. Kian. Okay, if yes. Brenner did, I don't think Brenner did to it Lavanier, did he? Um, would he have benefited from that schedule? Because Brenner's done a shitload of World Tour races straight yeah. off the bat. Like, and Bora, I think, have done a better job in uh, Uh But that wasn't the only race today. Sorry, we've gone a bit long on the uh, Vuelta España. There was the Britannia Classic uh, World Tour race that was GP Plue uh, yesterday. That was won by Mavi Garcia in a two-up sprint. She was very, very aggressive. Grace Brown kind of missed out. Uh, she beat Amber Crack, who's a Dutch rider on uh, Jumbo Visma. She's yeah, just a, a really, really good result. Wrong. She rode really strong in that race, yeah. and I think she was the strongest rider in the race, to be honest. Even though Mavi Garcia ended up winning, but Krak was just very, uh, very offensive. Went into the, uh, the attack multiple times and responded to a lot of things, and eventually Garcia ended up winning. But yeah, what can I say? I think she's also pretty young, right, Amber Krak? Nah, no, twenty-eight. Never mind, twenty-eight. I'm off with that. <laughs> no, but that being said, like Van Vlut, like uh, she's. She joined Jumbo Visma Women in June last year, so she's young to World Tour. Like that doesn't mean she's at her peak yep. yet at all. Um, she could be, yeah. Anyway, the men's race was also today hugely important in the points battle because it's not like a it's not a monument classic, but there's 400 UCI points to the winner, which I think is like, which is the equivalent of winning four Vuelta stages. <laughs> and three and a half Tour de France stages. And so Lotto, Israel, EF, hugely important for them. It's up and down, uh, 256 kilometers. Wout van Aert was here. He was the favorite for the race. Arno de Lee lining up against him, the Lotto Sidal del Toro, the bull. Um, and there was a break with Tratnik. Piccolo was there. Unbelievable shape for Andrea Piccolo. Like we already go and check out our transfer reaction when we uh, talked about Carapaz. We spoke about uh, in the part two transfers roundup. Piccolo, we spoke about his move to EF Education Easy Post. He's a 21-year-old Italian, incredible in juniors, 
second in Getcho behind Ayuso, uh, the chosen one, like uh, at the end of July. And he was in the break with Tratnik. They were working really, really well. And then, but they got caught and WoW was closing everything down. Eventually, Lotto just do the lead out with Voxnor, then uh, Du Bois. I don't think they should have done the lead out with Du Bois. I'll, I'll say why in a second. So Lee launches early. This is a slight ramp uphill. And WoW, after doing an incredible amount of work, um, still beats everybody anyway, beating Axel Laurence, who I don't know too much about. Benji might fill me in. Alexander Camp, Anadoli fourth, Fiorelli fifth, Germay sixth. Uh, then Oliver Nars and Benjamin Tomas Scoins and Piccolo actually finished 10th despite being in the break. Yeah, basically a, a great race by the Lee as well because, like, Arnold Lee, we, we, can, we can talk about him for a single second here. Eh? Arnold Lee has had an incredible season, is basically carrying Lotto Sedal on his shoulders when it comes to victories. He's won so many of these 1.1 classics in Belgium that he's probably the MVP of all those races combined. He's getting points in every single one of them. And he's also doing so in the not purely sprint runs. He is versatile. And he's not going to the U23 World Championships in favor of hunting points. The team says that he wasn't forced to do so. There's some rumors in Belgian media that he was forced to actually skip out on the World Championship because a lot of Sudal, we don't know that. We can't, uh, yeah, we can't say that. But I'm pretty sure he's favored for that World Championships U23 if he goes because the parkour on paper still fits him. A bit more versatile, but. He seems to be pretty versatile looking at the race he's riding because Brittany Classic is not a simple race. Loads of hills, and he's doing this so strong. And I think in the final, he... I agree. They probably shouldn't have given him a lead-out. He should have tried to benefit from other people's lead-out. But there's also the aspect that... Didn't we talk about the same finish in our first podcast ever? Exactly two years and three days ago? That it was all about positioning as well in the group because we had, I think... Was oh, MVP, MVP got boxed badly. Or was that Europeans on the same parkour? It's the same finish. It's the, the same finish. Yeah, one of the two. Uh, you're right. MVP got maybe they're like, okay, he, we lead him out. He probably comes third at worst. We don't lead him out, and we go for the boys and Lee. Both, you know, he could finish sixth or seventh or get boxed in. Maybe that's the theory. I don't know, but I think he underestimated the. Uh, the, how hard the finish was a little yeah. bit. Uh, strong from Van Aert, takes the win, uh, looking good for world champs. And I think he's doing the Canadian Classics in a couple of weeks as well. Axel Laurence is a 21-year-old French rider. Says he's 58 kegs. That's If so, then he's... <laughs> if that's right, then he's going to be a great puncher, even though he's nearly, nearly six foot uh, tall. And yeah, it's just an interesting race. Huge points on offer. Uh, I think the winners in terms of points were Lotto, even though Delee, he missed out on 100 points if he comes second instead of fourth. Uh, and looking down, EFOK, Israel, and Movistar, not good. Aaron Baru, 12th, 48 points only. Uh, Israel, 30th was their best. Nitzolo, nowhere. I think Nitzolo in the past, like I'm trying to look on when he was on... Becker, he didn't do it last year in 2020. European champs on this finish, Benji, Nitsolo won, I think. So in 2020, the race you were referring to. So he's not in that shape or something happened. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Delee, I think, is like top six in the world in points at the moment. And yeah. in terms of the points today, Lotto, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be close. Lotto are flying with Delee. 
like they are scoring so much with him and there's so many races to farm those points uh still left to come and he they got to just hope he stays up but yeah any other thoughts from uh britannia classic not really to be honest it's a race that i think was a lot more aggressive last year as in we saw alaphilippe versus Gonfa versus bogachar who didn't have a good day last year that kind of dynamic was really fun to watch. Like, it opened up so early. Here it felt like that bigger group with Tirotnik formed. And that wasn't the first breaker, but like a breakaway that started mid, mid-race, basically, with quite some potential there, but not the big names. And the fun dynamic today was whether the, the peloton would be strong enough to catch that group because the peloton started existing solely out of leaders at a certain point because their domestiques were gone. Because Laporte is not at their race for Wout Fanat, so Wout Fanat is solo in that group. Aramburu was pretty much solo in that group, so people had to come back, and Lotto had to come back after the hills, and that's the dynamic that eventually led to that break, and Trotnik and Sefov being caught just before the final end. That's the dynamic I did enjoy from this that we didn't have last year, for example. So I guess Chloe uh, is a race that can be won in multiple ways, and today it was not won the same way as last year, and it was a fun race to watch, but I preferred the Vuelta today. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, Andrea Piccolo, I think it's it's possible he will save uh, EF Education Easy Post. Guerrero came third in GC at Deutschland Tour that was won by Adam Yates. He did quite good watts on the mountaintop finish yesterday. I'll try and get a video wrapping that up out uh, on the rest day tomorrow, but no promises. But yeah, Piccolo in the Italian Classics when Delee uh, finishes his season. Piccolo is the man who I think will have to score a lot of points, just like uh, Binium scored about 600 points for into Marche after they picked him up from the folded Delco in August last year in the two months at the end of the year. So look out for that. It's very, very tight at the bottom. Every 50 points matters. That's why I think Movistar made a mistake today when in the Vuelta, sorry to go back to it, when Remco asked them to pace. When you have a top three favorite for the stage, I don't care that it's only 20 or 40 points. First of all, there's bonus seconds available on a Roglic. I think what else is the use of Verona or uh, Oliveira? I think unless they're going for the really, really going for the win, which they don't want to pace David Paul, I think they should have paced with him uh, today just from a points perspective as well. Um, But yeah, that's all from us. Uh, Got maybe an interview lined up tomorrow as well as talking a bit more about Movistar and then Rick Maas. Um, But until then, that rest day recap. Ciao. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.